0: Thank you, worship team. For those that may not know me, my name's Bob Pear. 1979, I was graciously saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the uh, husband of one wife, Jill, uh, the father of three daughters, Hannah, Lydia, and Abigail, and their husbands, Luke, Ryan, and Logan and I'm poppy to four grandchildren, Gideon, Evelyn, Ellie, and Micah. Uh, My desire this morning is to faithfully uh, proclaim God's Word to you. One of my favorite movies is A Hidden Life, and it's based on the life of Franz and Fanny Jagerstater. Uh, In 1943, Franz and Fanny and their three young daughters Uh, were living on their family farm near a remote village high in the Austrian Alps. By all accounts, Franz and uh, Fanny were devout Catholic, and they deeply uh, were committed to loving and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, they shared an uncommon, open, passionate love for one another, which was a bit uncommon for Bavarian culture, which uh, can be a bit um, stoic. So what makes this movie so special? Well, the cinematography is breathtaking. After all, it's made in the uh, Bavarian Alps. The score is haunting and the story is uh, compelling. But what affected me the most was how this movie was able to capture the raw emotion between the love of a husband and a wife as Franz struggled how not to violate his conscience and how Fanny struggled with how to submit to him in his uh, decision. Now, you might be thinking, what is so compelling about an Austrian family uh, living on a family farm? Well, uh, the answer is that their secret life was inefficably disrupted, interrupted by the rise of the Third Reich. In 1938, um, Germany annexed Austria, and as a result, most of Austria, including the Jägerstädter's village, became staunch supporters of Hitler. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's the same storyline time period as the sound of music. Eventually, uh, Franz was called up for military service, and both he and Fanny knew that he faced a life-or-death situation. His uh, village fully supported Hitler. His church advocated allegiance to the fatherland, Germany, and even his own mother encouraged him to serve, just as his father had, who had been killed in World War I. However, Franz's Christian faith made it impossible for him to support Hitler in the Nazi war effort. There was no doubt: if he resisted, he would be executed. Although it was Franz's life on the line, Fanny and the girls felt uh, they were bore the harsh uh, consequences of uh, his decision. Uh, neighbors turned into bullies. Uh, the village that they love shun them. And as Franz struggled with his own conscience, Fanny struggled with how to love and support him. Um, initially, she she uh, suggested that he go into hiding until the war was over, or that they could take the girls and, and flee Germany. But Franz's roots ran deep in Austria, and he, he would not run, and he would not hide. So... Uh, Uh, Fanny eventually suggested that he join the medical corps. After all, uh, he wouldn't be bearing arms against anyone, and he would be helping others. But service in any capacity in the German army demanded that a service member had to pledge an oath of allegiance to Hitler. And for Franz, that was immoral. And we're going to hear from Fanny a a little bit later. This morning, our study in the book of Ephesians... Uh, takes us to a very controversial text, especially in our current culture. Uh, Ephesians five twenty two, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For some of you, you may cringe at those words because you have been abused by your husband. For others, you may feel a deep resentment or even an anger at the thought of submitting to anyone, especially. Uh, Your husband. But for others, there may be a deep desire to know how to love and support a husband who is trying to be faithful to Christ. My hope is that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to the wisdom and grace of God as the mystery of the gospel is being revealed. Our Heavenly Father is good and everything that he gives us is good, including his commands, including Ephesians five twenty-two. It's no exception. The biblical instruction of a wife submitting to her husband um, should it should not be it, it should be liberating, not enslaving. It should be empowering, uh, not forbidding. It should be edifying. Uh, not degrading, and it should be hopeful, not despairing. So despite the loud noise surrounding this verse, the primary issue of this verse is the gospel. It's a gospel issue. The primary issue is not patriarchy. The primary issue is not hierarchy. It's not uh, complying to cultural uh, demands. No, it's about Christian wives reflecting the bride of Christ. Now here's the disclaimer. I I claim in no way to be the final word on this text. My confidence uh, this morning rests solely in the clarity of God's word and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now I have had the blessing and privilege to see this uh, verse lived out in the lives of many godly women, including my mother, my mother-in-law, my daughters, and many women, godly women in in this church. But the person that has affected me the most, been most uh, impacting in my life, has been my bride, uh, Jill. Um, Jill has always submitted to me in love, strength, wisdom, and much grace. In every way, as we have strove to walk side by side in covenant faithfulness to God. And Jill, she truly reflects the bride of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, Paul has gone to great lengths in describing the gospel, God's redemptive plan for saving lost sinners through the blood of Christ. And unlike ecumenical sainthood where a person is deemed a saint for doing something extraordinary good, Scripture tells us that the pedigree of a true saint is based on the work of God. He chooses us, He predestines us, He redeems us, He seals and fills us with His Holy Spirit that we might be holy and blameless For the praise of his glory. So, after spending the first half of this letter to the church at Ephesus uh, establishing God's amazing grace, Paul now turns to the question how then shall we live? So, beginning in verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 15, Look carefully then how you ought, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit as our teacher, guide, counselor, comforter. Uh, Holy Spirit, I humbly ask that you would speak truth to us today, that I would speak truth. Please feed the flock Christ. Amen. Okay, as I said... Um, the command for wives to submit to their own husband is primarily a a gospel issue. So there's some foundational points that we need to look at, establish, before moving on to that specific verse in uh, verse 22. And uh, there are three principal points that I'd like us to consider this morning. morning. Uh, Number one, first, we are called to imitate God as children. Uh, to state it differently, because God has so greatly loved us uh, as children. We want to be like our Heavenly Father in every way. And it's very important for us to realize imitate does not mean duplicate. Imitate does not mean replicate. Imitate means copy, to be as or to be like Uh, Several weeks ago, our family went to cheer on our oldest grandson. He was racing in his first mountain bike race. And there are not too many seven-year-olds that I know that are racing mountain bikes on an uh, adult uh, race course, but Gideon, Gideon did. You know why? He loves his daddy. His daddy's a mountain bike racer. And he wants to be like his daddy. He wants to look like his daddy. He wants to talk like his daddy. He wants to grow up to be like his daddy. And even though he's not as strong as Luke, he's not as fast, he's not as uh, technical in the skill riding, he doesn't have the endurance, that doesn't matter. He loves his daddy and he just wants to be like his daddy. And the disparity between Luke and... And Gideon compares nothing to the gulf of difference between us and our Heavenly Father. But as as children who know the love of our Heavenly Father, we want to be like Him in everything that we do. Point number two. Filled with the Holy Spirit means to be filled with the fullness of God. Um, as David taught last week, when a person is saved, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's incorrect to think of the Holy Spirit In terms of volume or measure, theologians talk about God being a simple being, meaning that God is not composed of parts that can be separated. So a person can have just a little bit of the Holy Spirit. A person either has all the Holy Spirit or none of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think Paul explains exactly what he's talking about in Ephesians 3.19 when he says that he talks about being filled with the fullness of God. That's what I believe uh, he means when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you see, in contrast to strong drink that impairs all our faculties, uh, the Holy Spirit enlivens all of our faculties. When we are filled with the fullness of God, our, uh, our hearts are overflowing with the love of Christ. Our, our minds are enriched with the wisdom of Christ. Our spiritual gifts are empowered for ministry. And our words, thoughts, and actions are informed by the full knowledge of God. Point three Submission is a command for good. Uh, Now, submission is not one of those words that we naturally want to embrace. Uh, There's a saying, words matter because meaning matters. Uh, When I was a little boy, my father ran a general store in rural Kentucky, and he, he worked long, hard hours. And I always remember him being a man of integrity, and I never heard him say a curse word. Well, on one of the rare days off, he took uh, my mom, my sister, and I to Kentucky Dam. As a little boy of five, I was just enthralled with the the, uh, barges and and the locks and the, the power of the river. Well, several days later, I was playing with a friend in our house, and I was telling him about seeing the dam. Well, apparently my dad heard the word, but not the context. And uh, needless to say, it took several years before I got the courage to say the word down again. Uh, And even though my dad may have got it, you know, a little bit wrong uh, that day, he inadvertently taught me a very important lesson, lesson. Words matter because meaning matters. The word submission can mean different things to different people. Uh, for someone who is interested in wrestling or MMA, uh, MMA fighting, submission is uh, being pinned with a grappling hold and surrendering to your opponent. Or, but for someone who's been abused, submission means yielding to the force or will of someone stronger. So it's really important for us this morning to do a little grappling of our own and try to understand what does the Bible mean Uh, by the word uh, submission. The Greek word hupo-tasso, translated uh, as submit, means to um, subordinate, to place under influence, to arrange in order. It was a Greek military term used to describe um, the formation of troops under command. Hupo-tasso was used 40 times in the New Testament twice in the text that we're going to look at today. All 38 other times, it's used in reference to some type of authority. Now, some may ask, so is this text talking about mutually support, uh, uh, mutually serving one another, or is it talking about submitting to someone in authority? And my answer would be yes, but it's much more. Uh, I understand biblical submission as... Upholding the call and glory of God in others. So whether a qu- Christian is in a position of authority over or under someone, the faithful Christian wants to do everything possible to help others to be faithful to God. That's what I mean by submission, being, uh, upholding the call and glory of God in others. Christian authority says... Uh, Let's build something for the kingdom of God. Christian submission says, I want to help. So with those three key points in mind, imitating God, uh, being filled with the fullness of God, and upholding uh, the call and glory of God in others, uh, let's uh, move on to our text for this morning. Now God wants us to see what mutual submission looks like, in the context of that uh, household, which he instituted not only for the flourishing of humanity, but as a building block of all human civilization. And I like the way the, li- uh, the um, New Living Translation frames this section. It, in verse 21, it says, "...and further, uh, submit to one another out of reference for Christ." Verse 22, "...for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord." Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Paul wants us to think biblically and critically through this section. So he's going to give us the who, what, why, and how pertaining to this command. The who. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 22. Paul is addressing wives. Biological women married to biological men. And Jesus affirms God's uh, original design for marriage between one man and one woman in Matthew 19 when he responds to the question about divorce and marriage. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife. And... "...the two shall become one flesh." So they are no longer two, but one flesh. "...what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate." But Paul is not merely addressing wives. He's specifically addressing Christian wives. He opens this letter to the church of Ephesus, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ. Christian wives are faithful to Christ. Christian wives are imitating God as his child. Christian wives are filled with the fullness of God. And Christian wives understand the love between Christ and the church. So now, men, this is important. I told you, this is a gospel issue, right? So listen carefully. Paul's not addressing us. Paul is not saying, husbands, command your wives to submit to you. In almost 36 years of marriage, I cannot—I have never uh, told Jill to submit to me or obey me. It, it never even crossed my mind. So if there's any husband in here that feels like that his wife is not submitting to him, uh, to him I would suggest, first, uh, don't make any more demands on her, but... Examine your own heart, and in prayer, ask for listening ears and a humble heart, because next week, Art's going to be preaching on husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So we come to the what. Uh, Christian wives, what? Submit to your own husband. This is a significant command. Five times in the New Testament, it is directly or indirectly uh, mentioned Now, first things first, to state the obvious, contrary to what agnostic and New Testament scholar Bart Ehrman says, uh, the Bible does not teach that women are to be subservient uh, to uh, men. But there are two sinful tendencies concerning this verse. On one end of the uh, spectrum is misogyny, and misogyny is the belief that women are inferior to men. Thus, they're to be treated as such. Uh, Basically, this view espouses that a a wife, uh, her place is in the home. She's supposed to cook, clean, uh, have babies, and, um, oh, by the way, fulfill every demand of the husband uh, while keeping her mouth shut. A misogynist reads verse 22, and he says, wife, and and, and he reads it and says, wife, you're, you're duty is to obey me. The other end of the spectrum is misandry. And uh, misandry means a hatred or dislike for men. Uh, This view holds that men are uh, dishonorable. They're untrustworthy. So Andrus reads this verse and says, a man wrote this verse to keep women in subjection to men. Now, I understand this text to say that a Christian wife is to submit to her own husband in a manner to uphold the call and glory of God in her husband's life, especially his call as a husband. In other words, a Christian's wife's call is to help her husband flourish as a Christian. And a wife who does this will be reflecting the love that the church has for Christ. So, the who, Christian wives, the what, submit to your own husbands, but why? Well, we find the answer in verse 23. For the husband is the wife, I mean, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. The reason. That it given for Christian wives to submit to their own husbands is because the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Now some commentators advocate that uh, the Greek word kephale," uh, uh, which is translated as source," mean, translated as "head," means source. However, there is no textual support of that from the Septuagint. And the Septuagint uh, was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible uh, that was common during the ministry of Jesus and the early church. Uh, I'm persuaded uh, that head does pertain to authority, uh, primarily for two reasons. One, there is uh, textual support from the Septuagint. Uh, but more than that, the context of the text that we find uh, kephale in in the New Testament. Um, to be more specific, I understand uh, head to, be, to mean covenant head. So verse 23 would read like this. Uh, For as the husband is the covenant head of the wife, as Christ is the covenant head of the church. So what do I mean by covenant head. Uh, I'm saying a covenant head is someone who bears the primary responsibility for leading others in covenant faithfulness uh, to God. So let me say that again. Covenant headship is leading uh, those under your care in covenant faithfulness uh, to God. So notice in defining covenant head, my emphasis is not on power or rights, but rather it's on responsibility, and that responsibility is to lead others in covenant faithfulness to God. As David uh, mentioned last week, authority is never to be self-serving, and I'm also placing an emphasis on primary responsibility uh, for the reason that the one who is called to submit that they are not stripped of their roles and responsibilities, including positions of authority that God may have called them to. So, what does covenant headship look like? Christ bears the primary responsibility for leading His church in covenant faithfulness to God. Our elders bear primary responsibility for leading River Oaks in covenant faithfulness to God. I bear the primary responsibility for leading my wife, Jill, in covenant faithfulness to God. And when our daughters were home, I bore the primary responsibility for leading our daughters in covenant faithfulness to God. And when they got married, I handed that mantle of covenant headship over to their husbands. Now, I believe that it's always been God's plan to ordain and institute covenant headship to give his children a more clear view, a fuller view of the headship, the ultimate headship of Jesus Christ. Um, in the bit beginning, God creates the cosmos and everything in it. And it, from the dust of the ground, he creates Adam. And he places Adam into the garden, and he tells him to work it and to keep it. And at some point in time, God says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And he pledges to make Adam a helper fit for him. And then he, out of Adam, he creates Eve. So I want to stop here briefly because I said this was a gospel issue. And ladies, and I'm not talking just about Uh, married. I'm talking about married, unmarried, young and old. If you don't take anything away from this sermon, I hope you take this. Um, When God describes uh, the first woman as a helper, he's describing a position of strength, of ability, of intelligence and and dignity. Uh, you know, for some reason, there's this very strange, distorted notion that helpers are in some way inferior, weak, and dumb. And in the plain wisdom, dirt wisdom of Pete Hogwallop, that, make, that don't make no sense at all. Uh, if my wife had to move a refrigerator and she had to choose between uh, me and Shane Bonham, She's going to choose Shane Bonham every time. I mean, I know Jill loves me, but I mean, Shane's arms are as big as my legs. So she's going to uh, uh, choose Shane every time. Uh, The Hebrew word azar is the word that is translated as helper. And azar is used 21 times in the Old Testament. And 16 of those times, it is used to describe God. It is used to describe His abilities, His character, His strength. And it is also used in reference to a title and His name. And it's always to encourage God's covenant people. In Psalm 124, 8, we read, Our help is the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, Shane may be able to pick up a refrigerator all by himself, but our God made heaven and earth. Uh, Also, in the New Testament, both the Holy Spirit and Jesus are described as helpers. So, ladies, you have been divinely endowed to reveal God's glory in a very special way with strength and dignity. Don't ever let anyone take that away from you. So, what does that look like? Well, let's return to the garden. We see Adam and Eve being given the creation um, mandate. I think standing side by side, um, God telling them to be fruitful and multiply and to rule and subdue. So Eve is to be a partner, a co-regent. She's not to be, some, she's not to be some, uh, subservient. Uh, to, to uh, Adam. Now, for some, it may sound Hallmark sappy, but I find Matthew Henry's comment on their relationship, this relationship between man and woman, pretty profound. Matthew Henry writes, "...the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal to With him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. But I believe Scripture is very clear that Adam was the covenant head as he bore the primary responsibility for the sin in the garden, and that through his seed, all humanity bears the curse of sin. And Scripture makes the distinction of the headship between Adam. Uh, and Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. So covenant headship is a position of delegated authority that is intended to magnify and uphold the glory of Christ by imitating His headship. In short, covenant headship is to serve God's kingdom, not build one of your own. So how does the Christian wife submit to her own husband? Scripture says... As unto the Lord. In verse 24, Paul explains what this means. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. A wife's ultimate allegiance is to Christ and Christ alone, and that allegiance to Christ should inform her in the manner that she submits to her husband. Paul emphasizes this not only with the phrase, as unto the Lord, but also by reminding the wise at the end of verse 23 that Christ is Savior. And as with the church, Christ has purchased her with his blood, and she belongs to him. So no authority of a husband is ever to usurp the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and any such attempt is vile and wicked. Now this presuppositional phrase, in everything, does not mean that the wife is to uh, obey every whim of the husband, but rather than in everything, she is, supposed, uh, she is to submit to the will of Christ just as the church does. So uh, a wife should comply with her husband in all matters, um, that cry, uh, or I'm sorry, a wife should not comply in any matter that Christ forbids, and and I was trying to think of what was a general guideline that you know maybe someone could have, and, and the closest thing that I I could come to, and I'm sure it falls short, but it's generally speaking, if a husband makes a demand on you, and you would be too embarrassed to tell your best Christian friend what that demand was. He has probably crossed the line and he's violating Christ's rule of love. Some of you may be thinking, okay, so what does all this look like in a practical sense? Give me some details. That's what we want. We want, you know, we want the details. I'm like that. I'm a pilot. I I, I understand procedures. I love procedures. Tell me what to do. Uh, If any Christian wife asks me that, you're going to get the deer in the headlights look uh, because I've never been a wife and I never will be. So we see the wisdom of God in uh, Titus chapter 2 when he says, Older women, instruct the younger women to love their husbands and how to be submissive to their own husbands. To our older faithful women of God, I say, you have many treasures and riches to invest in the kingdom of God by investing them, by investing your life into younger women. And to our younger women, I would say, do not be enticed by those things that tickle your ears, but rather pursue the wisdom of God. Seek out a godly sage, an older woman who has been faithful to walk the path less travel called the gospel way. For a number of years, Jill has met with several young ladies one time uh, a week, and these young ladies, um, godly ladies, they have to get up early in the morning before work to meet with Jill, and they come together, they get to know each other better, they um, discuss scripture, they pray together, they're mutually submitting to one another. And Jill would say this is one of the highlights of her week as she sees young godly women who are passionate about growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. So a good question, though, for a a Christian wife to ask is how does the church submit to Christ? And the next logical question would be how does my answer to the first question in?" Form how a Christian wife should submit to her own husband. Now, to state the obvious, uh, no husband is Jesus Christ, nor should he be treated as such. But the short answer is that a wife is her husband's partner, and she's going to do everything that she can to help her husband answer the Savior's call, whether he's a believer or unbeliever. As Andres Kossenbarger uh, put it, in Christian marriage, a husband's loving leadership is met by a wife's intelligence response. And I would add, in a mixed marriage, an unbelieving husband is met by the relentless faith and hope of a believing wife. Jill and I will celebrate 36 years anniversary on the 29th of this month, just a few days away. And in our marriage, I've had two jobs, the Marine Corps and United Airlines, and we've moved 13 times. And Jill never just followed blindly, plotting behind me. No, we, we walked side by side, hand in hand, as we strove to walk in covenant faithfulness to God. Um, I do not... I have never made a major life decision unilaterally. Uh, But there have been many times I wanted to make a a life decision, big decision, uh, share it with Jill, and she shared a concern, and we did not know what, uh, we did not do what I wanted to do. And, you know, it might be days, maybe weeks, maybe even be a few months, I would look back and I'd marvel at how, uh, the wisdom she spoke and how God used her to to lead our marriage. Uh, Jill is a wise woman and she is the primary prophetic voice in my life. She is faithful because she is faithful to Christ. Um, Jill has always received my, inten- uh, my attention and care with a very sincere heart, which just motivates me all the more to try to love and, and serve her. And it's... It's not the best choice of words, but I remember shortly after we were married saying, you know, Joe, you make walking with Christ easier, and it's all the more true uh, today. It's, it's, absolutely, it's really impossible for us this morning to try to mine every precise answer for every scenario on how a wife is practically supposed to respond to her husband in every given situation. But I do want to spend a few moments on a wife's submission to difficult husbands. And I'm, I'm going to start with the obvious one. How does a wife, any wife, submit to a physically abusive husband? And my answer is, she reports him to law enforcement. Uh, any man who uh, physically uh, abuses his wife or others is not only not only is he violating divine, uh, law, uh, divine and civil law, uh, but he is taking someone who is. Uh, bearing God's image, uh, uh, and in the case of a wife, God's child, and he is violating, violating her. So, the most loving thing that you can do uh, for an abusive person is to report them to authorities. They need help. It, it, is, it is very unloving to allow anyone to wallow in their sin, especially someone who is abusive. So, Dear sister, if you find yourself in this situation and you feel like uh, you need some help, uh, our elders and there are women, some who have come from an abusive background, they stand ready uh, to walk with you through this. For other difficult husbands uh, to include emotionally and emotionally, Fertilely abusive, hot-tempered, passive, bipolar, uh, selfish, self-centered, the proud unbeliever, basically any husband that you find it not just difficult uh, to submit to and live with, but difficult to even like, my counsel would be uh, be constant in prayer, stay faithful to Christ, and seek help from the church. In these situations, they're so, they're so different, and they're probably too heavy for you to bear alone, uh, and they're probably going to take uh, a bit of time to work through. Christ has equipped the church to come and love and serve you and walk with you through this. One last note on submitting to difficult husbands Ephesians 5.33 ends this instruction on a wife's submission to her husband by stating, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. All of us are aware that respect has to be earned, and it comes from trust. So how do you respect someone that you cannot trust? How does a wife, a Christian wife, submit to a difficult unbelieving husband? The answer is that a spirit-filled wife responds, or I'm sorry, she respects the divine call of husband and she will continue to submit to her husband in a manner to try to encourage him faithfulness to the Lord. In the Marine Corps, we were trained to respect the, the rank regardless of the officer who, who filled that rank. Um, I had a CO one time. He would call the company in formation, and we'd all be in uniform. He'd show up in civvies, uh, no socks, and dock siders. And one time we were flying uh, a heavy weapons deck in Coal Lake, Canada, in preparation for a deployment. We'd been gone for three months, and it's time to go home. We're all anxious to go home. But Hurricane Hugo was headed straight for Cherry Point, North Carolina, so our CO um, directed us to not fly our Harriers uh, back to Cherry Point, but to uh, stop somewhere, wait the storm out, and then we could go home. So I, to this day, I remember being in Sun Valley, Idaho, some rough place, watching uh, the Weather Channel in Hadlock, North Carolina, where my wife and daughters were as this uh, hurricane was approaching. Well, after the hurricane passed, we hopped in our jets, we flew back, only to find out that he had flown his jet straight to uh, Cherry Point because he was afraid his boat might be damaged. So even though we as a squadron had very little respect for him, every Marine, uh, regardless of his rank, from the most senior, most junior, we would comply with his orders. But For the Christian wife, remember, you're called to respect the call of husband, even if you can't respect the man who fills the call. Okay, um, respect. Uh, For any of our uh, women that are not married, if you're contemplating married, respect is a huge thing. Uh, Make sure he respects you. And make sure you can respect him. The questions that I asked my daughters before they got married, I did not ask them if they loved um, uh, the guy that she was getting married to, but rather I said, do you respect him? Can you honor him? Can you follow him? So husbands, a good question uh, if we can go back to the other. A good question to ask is, uh, how does your leadership encourage your wife to submit to you? Does she respect to you? Now, believe it or not, uh, being difficult is not just a husband problem. And I just want to mention three what I think are unloving responses that subvert, uh, that subvert a wife's ability um, to uphold the call and glory of God in her husband. And they are nagging, overbearing, and fleeing. The nagging wife is constantly badgering her husband to, to do something. The overbearing wife is constantly domineering over her husband. Uh, so the, uh, a nagging and or overbearing wife is acting more like a, um, a parent than a, a wife. The fleeing wife emotionally... Um, And/or physically detaches from her husband. So the fleeing wife is acting more like a stranger than a wife. And sadly, the sinful attitudes of one uh, spouse will typically incite the sinful attitudes of the other spouse unless you are filled with the fullness of God. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we rightly love and submit one another. So, wives, good question for you. How does your submission encourage your husband to love and lead you? Does he find joy in leading you? And uh, Jill and I, what we're going to do is take each take a piece of paper, and we're going to answer the three questions. Maybe you know, very much bullet point, one to three things under each each question. And concerning the negative, it may not even apply. Your wife may not be doing it, but it may be something that you know, I just don't flourish under that type of um, um, response. For me, I, I, I do not like flying uh, with micromanaged uh, captains. Uh, I just, you know, I, I just don't like that. So we're going to fill that out. And then I'm going asking her out on a date, I'm going to feed her a nice meal and then we're going to talk through it and try to learn some things about each other. Okay. Romans 12:12 12, 12 instructs, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This verse should be the anchor that every Christian wife should be tethered to. Regardless how good or how godly your husband is, you're going to experience pain and suffering in trial and tribulation uh, in your marriage. But Scripture gives you two very, very strong promises for wives that they might have a hope to rejoice in. First, there is a sanctifying influence in the marriage of a believing wife as the benefits of Christ overflow to her husband. Uh, In short, a believing wife places her husband under the influence of the Holy Spirit, much like us walking through those doors and sitting in this congregation. We are placed under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 7.14 puts it this way, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. By a believing wife, a husband, even an unbelieving husband, lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There are many men in River Oaks that are sitting here today who are Christians because God used the faith of their wives. The second promise is a believing wife is sanctified by submitting to her husband just as the church is sanctified by submitting to Christ. Since a believing wife is a member of the church, she can trust and hold on to the the words of Christ found uh, in this text, that Christ might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Dear Christian wife... Even though the call to submit to your own husband is scorned and ridiculed and despised by some, the heavens rejoice and you are precious in God's sight. So, getting back to the movie, A Hidden Life. Franz reported as order and he refused to take the oath to Hitler. He was immediately uh, arrested and taken in uh, uh, custody and imprisoned. Uh, He was tried in military court uh, for undermining military military morale, and he was found guilty. He was sentenced to be executed by guillotine. Days before his uh, scheduled execution, uh, Fanny is summoned to Berlin where, where he's being held to try to convince him with hopes that she would be able to convince him to change his mind. So we're going to pick up the scene. Franz is sitting at a table, and in the room there's a Nazi officer, there's his priest, and there are two German soldiers. And what we're not going to see is the Nazi uh, officer saying, just sign this uh, paper and you will live and we will put you in the medical court. His priest urges him to sign the paper for the sake of your wife and for your children. So now uh, Fanny is brought in, and let's see how uh, a spirit-filled wife submits to her own husband under this difficult situation. Whatever you do. Fanny's words express the heart of a spirit-filled wife. She first affirms her love and pledges her faithfulness, and then she speaks with a prophetic voice. She doesn't say "Do what I want." She doesn't say "Do what you want." She says, "Do what is right." I've asked Jill to come up and read some thoughts from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliott is one of my heroes of the faith. Uh, she was the wife of uh, martyred missionary Jim Elliott. Uh, during her lifetime, uh, she suffered the grief of l- losing two husbands, and she was married to her third husband for 38 years before she uh, died in uh, 2015. Uh, when uh, Elizabeth Elliott speaks, I listen.
1: The words of Elizabeth Elliot. Do we want to follow him in this? Yes, we say. But then, what if the will of the Father happens to be our submission to the will of a man? Nothing could be less to our liking. We search for every loophole. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Many are the discussions I've heard on this one almost all of them directed to what it can't possibly mean, rather than to the plain word of the Lord. The statement is simple, not easy for women like me, but simple. That is, I understand it only too well. As Mark Twain said, I have far more trouble with the things I do understand in the Bible than the things I don't understand. Why should a wife submit to a husband rather than the reverse? Are we not equal? No, not equal in the sense of interchangeable. The heart of the matter is a mystery. The mystery of Christ and the church. Try reading Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, reversing the nouns. It's nonsense. God arranged husbands and wives in different positions, each representing a tremendous verity. The husband represents Christ, the wife, the church, his bride, this is a divine assignment, not chosen, earned, or deserved by either husband or wife, not conferred by either on the other, but designated by God himself. I'm thankful for this arrangement because I know it is a revelation of divine wisdom and love given for our freedom and peace. Let's
0: pray. Father, you made us... Male and female. You're the one that calls us into covenant marriage, a sacred union. You're the one who declares your creation and design very good, including marriage. And even though we have marred and despised it, please restore the holy intentions of into our marriages. I pray that uh, as husbands and wives, um, as well as those who you are calling into marriage, um, please take our souls to task. May we give sin no leave or liberty. Uh, Fill us with the fullness of Christ that we might rightly love and serve and submit to one another. Not for us, not for us, O Lord, but to your glory. Amen.